Green Left Weekly Radio. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests, and that's Green Left Weekly. It's a people's voice committed to human and civil rights, environmental sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas mainstream media won't. It's the leading source of local, national and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movements. It exposes the lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us. Good morning, listeners. You are listening to Green Left Radio, 8.55 on your AM dial. I hope you're getting up, getting productive for the day and listening to us with some great interviews, um, packed news and analysis for the day. Over to you, Jacob. Yeah, so good morning, everyone. So in the studio today, we have myself, Jacob, and Megan. Morning. Um, And I guess I'd like to start off with acknowledgement um, that FreeCR today is being broadcast to you from the wandering land of the Kulin Nation. Um, I like to um, pay respect to elders past and present and that this always was, um, always will be Aboriginal land. Now, I guess we have a pretty packed program um, this morning. Um, our, the affiliate of our program, Green Left Weekly, um, is going to be starting a supporters campaign um, tomorrow. Um, and so we're kind of like on going to be sort of campaigning for um, to build... Um, the number of supporters we have for Green Left Weekly, which is the activist, uh, activist left-wing radical newspaper that's, you know, been around since 1991. So we have... 26 years. Yeah, so over 26 yeah. years. So we're going to have um, the editor with us um, this morning to talk a bit about the supporter campaign and really the kind of significance of Green Left Weekly. Um, and because, you know, this show is basically you know, the radio program of the, the paper. The radio version of Green Left Weekly. Yeah. Yes. So, um, yeah, hence why it's called Green Left Radio. And the next interview we'll have, we're going to be having, um, we're going to be speaking with a Chilean woman from Melbourne. Um, we've covered Chile um, quite recently um, with a number of interviews, but we're going to go for a different angle this time, mainly focusing on to have a woman's voice on on the issue this time around and also maybe talk a bit in detail about, um, you know, the kind of uh, the feminist kind of angle um, on the on the whole uprising. And then finally, we're going to have a live interview from Hong Kong um, where we're going to, where we get, um, where because they're the, amount of police violence has gone quite escalated um and so we're going to be having uh we'll be hearing from our activists um directly um who from will Hong Kong. remain unnamed for safety purposes oh yeah. he will have a name but it'll be a fake name but yeah, yeah this is by point now um yeah so that's um what we have kind of lined up the program i guess to start off by talking about um in terms of headline news um well Nothing much has changed since last week. The main dominant thing has been um, the the fires mm. um, and the extreme weather. In fact, the extreme weather has managed to hit um, Victoria, and I'm um, in fact I'm I'm sure many of you who are out um, who are outside yesterday it was over 38 degrees yesterday, and there was also something strange about the sky in terms of. You know, the amount of wind, extreme wind, uh, extreme dust. Um, clearly, I haven't really been following what 
the, the extent of the impact, but of course there was an asthma thunderstorm warning. Thunderstorm asthma, absolutely. If you have um, asthma, make sure that your meds and your inhaler are with you. These, this is the sort of weather where uh, hospitals gear up for uh, a massive influx and vulnerable people die. So it's really, it's really important to make sure that if you have any respiratory issues that you make sure your meds and your inhaler are right beside you, basically. Mm, yeah. Definitely. And although fortunately I think today's weather is going to be a bit better, much better than yesterday. In fact, mm. for some reason, it was 38 degrees yesterday, and now it's and gone it to 20. <laughs> it plummeted in the um, same day. Welcome to Melbourne, And in everyone. fact, these extreme weather events have already had an impact on my life. Um, the extreme wind has basically broke the front door oh. of my house, and you can't <laughs> close it now. Um, I mean, we have it closed because we have a bunch of shares behind it. But yeah, that's I've, there's already we're already starting to. Um, the weather has already had a bit of an impact, um, so I'm going to have to follow that up later. But, yeah, it just um, kind of shows. And yeah. I guess there's been also been, I guess, some interesting analysis. I mean, we just made um, just um, – and I'm not particularly an expert on all the information around this, but um, going back to the acknowledgement we made um, to, um, to the Aboriginal um, community, um, there is – Bit of interesting analysis that a lot of the bushfires um, that have happened ha- are correlated with a lot of the areas where a lot of the dispossession of Indigenous people occurred. And, of course, that mm. makes sense for a number of reasons, mainly because um, when the British arrived and colonised um, the earth, essentially they pretty much destroyed a lot of the Aboriginal culture. The fact that they... Um, the fact is Aboriginal people were good land managers. They managed and kept and cared for the land, whereas when um, the colonists just basically came in, they've basically just exploited the land for their, you know, for the um, for profit. So even though I'm not necessarily an expert on all the mechanisms that I think it is a, a worthwhile kind of acknowledgement to kind of make and observation um, that definitely, you know, um, I think definitely needs to, you know, might be a topic that we can kind of further explore in the future. Definitely. Um, I think the term is cultural burning. Mm. Uh, so there, there has been a program, um, at least here in Victoria, to get uh, more Indigenous people on country doing things that, like, you know, being um, uh, park rangers, uh, working within national parks, etc. And I think this is a really good step and paves the way for having a look at the practice of cultural burning because I think these sorts of practices need to come back. Obviously, uh, you know, this was being practiced for many tens of thousands of years. We need to look at this as a genuine land, a pra- you know, land management practice uh, that can help us combat these um, absolutely intense fires that are raging uh, through the landscape at the moment. Yeah. Hmm. So, and hmm. um, some other interesting news now, I guess, in relation to the fires, um, Scott Morrison um, was quoted uh. as basically saying he doesn't see um, these extreme weather events as having anything to do with climate change. Um, That's the extent of our leadership. Well, I I guess it kind of, it's, it's, you know, I guess it's um, beneficial for them to deny the reality because, I mean, the Liberal government is doing absolutely nothing and, in fact, actually accelerating the issue by pushing ahead um, with the Adani coal mine, looking for more ways of which um, they can build more natural gases, um, pretty much denying any, um, pretty much denying any kind of reform around um, taking seri- radical um, action on the climate. 
But it's interesting to note, I mean, I'm watching uh, regional people uh, beginning to discuss the obvious, um, you know, implications of the climate crisis. And you wonder how long this government can go in denying what is a very obvious fact and how long they can go, uh, you know, go forward in denying something uh, and having that denial become so unpopular. I mean, at what point do they have to understand that pushing that unpopular opinion of the fact that climate change has nothing to do with the fires is going to be to their detriment? You know, at what point are we going to force them to act? And I'm hoping that that's sooner rather than later because, you know, we we have an absolute crisis situation with regards to the fires. You know, people have died. The fires have become more intense. uh, People are losing their homes. uh, Wildlife is being decimated. It's uh, And it's absolutely obvious and we have fire experts telling us that it's obvious you know how long can they go you know with plausible deniability basically Hmm. yeah and um going into some of the other um developments that happened um over the past week in terms of headline news um i guess one of the more interesting things um and scandals that kind of happened was um the stuff around westpac um, do you have any particular details on... I actually don't. I was going to ask you about that. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I sort of have a headline here. So basically, um, one billion um, scandal basically hits Westpac. Um, and in the latest of um, a string of bank scandals, anti-money uh, laundering and counter-terrorism financer Alice Grack launched action against um, Westpac on Wednesday over 23 million alleged breaches of the law. Um, it, it, you know, basically some of the some of the some of the um, it relates to the fact that um, you know being a bank, um, they weren't necessarily um, properly following with. Um, where the money was going and some of the transfers and track transactions, um, especially from international fund transfers, I'll, a number of them were related to child exploitation and other kind of illegal kind of practices. I guess, you know, from the perspective of the bourgeois state, um, you know, they, it's probably good that they, um, these banks are being made accountable, but at the same time, I think it's worth mentioning that, you know, they've allowed, all the big four banks have been ripping off working class people for more a than long a very long time. Mm. And I guess the only, re- it's only, um, the state has only acted when it's gone too far. <laughs> to, I mean, the fact that they're all, it's almost like, you know, you can make a kind of slippery kind of slope argument. Like, you know, the fact that, you know, the capitalist state, you know, was allowing these banks just getting away with ripping off working class people progressively leads into them doing more heinous and illegal kind of activities that are not considered acceptable to the bourgeois state. (laughs) And the thing is, um, they will get a slap on the hand. They'll get a minimal fine, which they can easily absorb. Um, There'll be minimal um, ramifications for this. And I I just, um, I know that someone brought up the the comparison. So the CFMMEU was fined recently uh, $50,000 for stopping work because they wanted a female toilet on the work site. And if you compare that to what the bank has done, so, you know, these transactions uh, that they haven't monitored properly, that are looking, you know, that are going towards uh, child exploitation uh, and other absolutely criminal activities, 
and the the fine or whatever ramifications that uh, they have will be absolutely minimal compared to the criminal activities that they've allowed to, to go on. And it's the same sort of thing. I mean, if you have a look at the Royal Commission into Banking, what came out of that? Pretty much nothing. Um, the banking sector gets away with so much because they make money for those who are rich and they are owned by those who are rich. Uh, so, you know, this, this whole idea of some kind of even-handed justice, uh, you know, across the board doesn't occur within our society, unfortunately, because those who make the profit make the rules as well. And, um, yeah, the banks just will get away with this. They'll continue to until we can change the system, basically. Mm, definitely. Now, um, just the... Um, I'll just go play a quick um, few announcements um, and then we might move on to our first interview for the program. Join me, Aya Kwai, with Ubuntu Voices. Wednesday at 8.30pm on 3CR. Ubuntu is a Zulu word, meaning I am here because you are. Ubuntu celebrates the positive contribution African Australians make to our communities in music, academia, the arts, and everything in between. Come with me on a journey. Ubuntu Voices, every Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. None of us are free, one of us is chained, none of us are free. I spent three and a half years living on the street and I know what it's like to have no hope and not to feel part of the society and I think that's where a lot of these people are. But I think we need to help people who are traumatised and help people get back on their feet and give them hope and help them um, feel like they're a part of the society again instead of just moving them on like they're an inconvenience. If it were not for ruminations, how would the views of those of us who have been homeless or are homeless, how would these views ever be aired? How would they ever be expressed? Subscribe to the station that gives airtime to people with a lived experience of homelessness. Support 3CR. Welcome back. You're listening to Green Left Radio, 8.55 on your AM dial. We have our first uh, interviewee uh, online. Uh, we have editor of Green Left Weekly, Susan Price. Welcome, Susan. Thanks. Glad to be with you. Excellent. Now, Susan, um, we are, uh, are advertising the supporter drive that's going to be going at the moment. So a week-long supporter drive uh, to gain more support for Green Left Weekly, which is a really important independent uh, left-wing media outlet. Can you give us a little bit of a history of Green Left Weekly and why it's so important um, as an independent voice among a landscape that's basically uh, corporate-owned? Sure. Well, I think uh, many, well, all of the 3CR listeners would have um, 
would appreciate that Green Left, I think, shares a lot of um, commonalities with community, other community media, because it has, from its beginnings, relied on contributions from activists and support from readers, uh, not only, you know, in terms of getting the content together, but also distributing uh, Green Left uh, hard copy online and fundraising for it uh, every year, which is, I guess, why this you know, supporter drives so important. Um, I mean, Green Left started, you know, in 1991, so we're looking at more than, you know, 25 years of uh, publishing, and uh, was, Green Left was one of the first uh, Australian news media to actually, you know, publish in full text online, and ever since our beginnings, we've never put up paywalls for uh, people to read the content, and you know, really, I guess that's been part of our um, commitment to maintain Green Left as people-powered media, um, independent, as in independent of corporate interests, which I think is the key uh, because the media landscape in Australia today, as well as being heavily monopolised, uh, is is very much driven by corporate advertising. And I think that, mm. you know, does obviously present... Uh, big contradictions for a lot of the what's covered in the mainstream press. So Green Left, I think, has always played a very important role um, of being able to publish without fear or favour, uh, you know, and shine a light on injustice, um, and particularly uh, the influence of corporate power, not only on Australian politics, but um, politics globally. Absolutely. And that whole publishing without fear and favour and, and the fact that it's not behind a corporate wall, it's interesting to note that there seems to be two uh, sort of veins of media that are occurring. So old media uh, wants to be behind a paper wall to make money, uh, you know, with regards to that. And then we've got new media, so online publications that are obviously not behind a paywall. Um, how important is it to to not have this paywall, to have to not have this sort of financial barrier between the readers that you're engaging with um, and the actual information that you're trying to get through? Well, it, it's extremely important. I mean, it means that you know, it's it's a miracle each week that we get green left out. Actually, <laughs> to be <laughs> well quite <done>. frank, <laughs> and and it very much relies on the goodwill, uh, political support. <laughs> Hard work, um, a bit of blood, sweat and tears by the team that gets Green Left out each week. But also, as I said, the, that support from readers out there who identify with the project, with Green Left, um, and the important role that it plays in the media. Um, and, you know, and I really think that's been the lifeblood of this, of this media from the get-go. And I think we've, you know, we've certainly tried to, uh, Occupy the online space and particularly the social media um, space uh, much more um, in the past, you know, five to ten years. But really, it's about getting ideas out there. I mean, it's mm. not just news. Um, it's actually, you know, we're living in a time where there is a battle for ideas, and we have so many outlets for capital, pro-capitalist, neoliberal. Uh, conservative and far right wing um, ideas to get out there into uh, into people you know on their inboxes and uh, 
and mobile devices and mm. and so on. And so green left, you know, we're really, you know, it's it's utterly important for human survival, actually, <laughs> that uh, radical ideas, alternative ideas, progressive ideas uh, are able to uh, compete. And, you know, our future depends on it. So, yeah, I mm. mean, if green left were to disappear um, from the media landscape in Australia and globally, I think... Uh, you know, we it would be a very grim time indeed. And so continuing, you know, to publish uh, weekly, but also we're doing a lot more day-to-day um, publication online uh, is crucial. It's crucial mm-hmm. right now when, the, when people across the world are facing these crises, you know, political crisis, economic crisis, and this climate emergency. And um, so just to, to give people an idea, so um, look, there's a supporter, there's different supporter options for Greenlift Weekly. So you can actually become a supporter of Greenlift Weekly for as little as $5 a month, uh, and that supports uh, the digital publication. You've also got a monthly uh, subscription of $10 a month, which means that that's a digital and print publication. So the, the print um a uh, copy will be there weekly uh, in your letterbox. And then there's also a supporter, a solidarity um, rate of $20 per month, which must be really helpful with regards to, you know, publication and, and getting up circulation. And you can go to greenleft.org.au and click on the supporters button for those options. And Susan, I was just thinking about it. Um, I was reading uh, the article, and, and I'll, maybe after our interview, I'll read a little bit more of it. Um, and the 500th publication, which was, I think, um, published in 2002, I noticed that uh, Greenleft Weekly was already using the term ecological crisis. And so, you know, we, we've had in the in the last, say, uh, one to two years, uh, the rise of uh, the group Extinction Rebellion. And uh, with that, the urge for us to change our language from climate change to the climate crisis or the ecological crisis or climate emergency. I noticed that even 17 years ago, Greenleft Weekly was already using that term and already trying to push the urgency. How important has Greenleft Weekly been in trying to get through to people the absolute emergency that is um, the climate crisis that we face? Well, I, I think Greenleft was really a pioneer in this regard in the Australian media context. I mean, when we were launched, really, that was so much, I think, behind the impetus um, and the motivation to get a project like Greenleft off the ground because uh, while, uh, you know, certainly those of us on the left around the world were recognising um, the, you know, the, the climate and global warming um, uh, dynamic um, that had been, you know, had been identified way, way earlier, um, but I guess the, the Rio Climate Summit that was taking place during um, 1991 um, or preparations for that was, was also something that was looming large. Um, and, yeah, so I think, I think Greenleft from its start, and really it's part of its DNA, if you like, has been to try to further that discussion around the need for climate revolution for uh, solving the ecological crisis and that the and the linkage between social and economic issues and the environment um, mm. that, that these can't be separated and so it, it's been a, a massive you know a huge part of our um, 
of our uh, approach uh, has been not just to inform, um, but also to analyse and and encourage debate. Um, for example, around things like uh, uh, trading in emissions. Um, I think Green Left was one of the very few voices that um, was quite critical of emissions trading schemes and market solutions um, to the problems of CO2 in the atmosphere um, and yeah. greenhouse gas. Um, so, you know, it's played, I think, a critical role uh, in, in actually advancing the debate around uh, that really key issue, which is now, you know, it's now become mainstream because of the just <laughs> sheer, uh, you know, the sheer doggedness of, of pushing that. huge crisis yeah. we're facing now, yeah. you know, and, and so it's very important um, to maintain that voice, I think, within the debate uh, that's looking beyond capitalism, looking beyond market solutions to solve the climate crisis. And so we, we sort of, we've covered, um, you know, Greenless Weekly's critical role in pushing the fact that this is a climate crisis, not just, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, slow climate change. Um, I was wondering if we could move on to uh, Green Left Weekly's role in actually giving real unbiased information about revolutions that have occurred over time and that are currently occurring in the world, uh, you know, across uh, a number of countries. Um, corporate media, as we know, um, do have an agenda with reporting these kinds of things. Uh, you know, just for example, uh, when they talk about the, uh, the, what's happening in Bolivia, uh, most mainstream media's, uh, media is not calling it a coup uh, and they, they're really downplaying what's exactly happening. Um, what role does Green Left Media play in, in conveying to people what re- the real uh, you know, facts about what's happening in these revolutions and why is that critical? Well, I think first of all that um, as activists uh, it's incredibly important for us to draw from the lessons of others who are struggling around the world. And we draw not, not only, you know, important lessons for our own struggles, but I think inspiration. And I think Green Left has always, it's been a very important source of inspiration because we, we want to tell those stories about struggle, about possibilities for people when they're organised and mobilised en masse to make change. Um, so I think for decades now we've been battling this kind of overwhelming ideology of either at the end of history, which would be familiar to some mm. some listeners, but also this idea that there is no alternative, uh, or that you know this is as good as it gets um, in terms of a, a way of living. And I think Green Left's always been very conscious that uh, it's important to show that um, people aren't, you know, not only uh, uh, suffering because of capitalism's inequities and its rapacious. Um, you know, destruction of um, global resources, but they are fighting back and and winning in some cases. I mean, of course, we understand we live in a time where um, the forces uh, protecting corporate interests are always going to resist and and uh, and kick back against um, against that resistance. But it's important for us to to talk about what's happening, to tell those stories uh, for the benefit of um, of our movements going forward. So the other thing is if we just rely on the mainstream media to learn about what's happening in Bolivia, in Chile, uh, in Lebanon, Iraq, Iran, Haiti, I mean, you know, 
uh, people are in revolt across the world. Mm. I mean, our our TV screens are filled with you know images of tear gas and riot police and you know street fighting, but you you really rarely get what I call kind of you know satisfactory discussion and analysis of what's actually behind um, these uprisings that we're seeing. And I think again for Green Left, we you know. We tell that story. Um, you know, we, we explain what it is that kicked off um, the you know resistance in Iraq, Iran, but also I guess putting it in a con- in a historical context too, and and drawing the links between um, the sort of dictatorial governments that we've we've seen, the far right um, emergence, and the and and neoliberal. Capitalism uh, mm. and its uh, and its crisis, which is what is largely responsible for the rise of right wing governments around the world. So, you know, if you otherwise, you know, it's it's it's, it's a very important, uh, I guess, picture to paint because otherwise, you know, if you see what's going on in Bolivia, I mean, it, it's devastating what's happening there. Um, mm. Really, it's. A, of counter-revolution, if you like, um, pushing back on a decade and a half of progressive, positive um, reform, Indigenous rights. Um, and, you know, if you, I guess if you can't appreciate the big picture and connect those, that struggle with struggles across the world, it can be quite a grim and depressing reality. Um, mm. So, yeah, I think we, we want to arm activists that knowledge and understanding and analysis so that we can all keep on with our important struggles, even in a country so far away, you know, in in Australia, for example. Absolutely. And that kind of analysis, um, you know, that analysis of the reasons why these things are happening around the world, and it, it w- which is a feature of Green Left Weekly, is so critical because it really is. It's very noticeably lacking in corporate media. And so um, Green Left Weekly adds that richness of analysis uh, and, and gives a background because a nuance is not something that corporate media is really good at, <laughs> as we no, know. No, and I'm just wondering, so um, we're kind of coming to the end of the, the interview. Is there anything that we have left out, anything that you want to summate in regards to how important Green Left Weekly is and why people should become a supporter of Green Left Weekly? Well, I think Green, Green Left is, you know, it's one of the things that does very well, I think, is bring the voice of activists to the fore. Yes. Um, and so you've seen that in, you know, people writing as eyewitnesses to events happening around the world or interviews that we've conducted with, you know, activists in Hong Kong or other parts of the world in Sudan um, around the, the struggle that's been happening there. So I guess having that voice, that voice from the grassroots is, you know, is crucial. Uh, and really, you know, as I said before, Greenleaf provides an important uh, anti-capitalist alternative viewpoint uh, that you're just not going to get in the mainstream media. Mm. I mean... There are, you know, obviously there's a, a sort of blossoming of a lot of online publications now and, and many of them are probably providing, you know, quite good analysis um, in comparison to, say, the mainstream uh, newspaper media. However, I think the, the missing ingredient that's provided by Green Left is the question of activism. So yes. not just activist voices, but actually building the movement and where totally unapologetic about that. We're not just a newspaper and we're not even just 
a source of analysis. We're actually about building the movement for social change. Mm. And uh, that, I think, is going to be you know, even more critical as we confront uh, you know, deepening crisis, um, not just on, on the ecolo- ecological front, but uh, socially, economically. We can all, you know, we can see it. Uh, and mm. having a paper that is there to build the movements for change, the movements resisting neoliberalism, um, resisting, uh, you know, destruction of our environment uh, is, is, you know, absolutely critical. And so certainly I think there's every reason for uh, for supporting Green Left. And as you said, it's very easy to do um, $5 a month if you want to just get the digital copy. But some people like to get the paper because once they've finished reading it, they'll pass it on to a friend or they drop mm. it off at their local library or coffee shop or leave it in the bus or the doctor's surgery, whatever. Um, but uh, it's very easy to support Green Left. And I, I tell you what, every single dollar that we can raise to help keep this project going is is really well welcomed. And uh, I'd really encourage 3CR listeners to uh, to help us continue to, uh, to do the, the job that we're setting out to do in building that movement for social change. Thank you, Susan. We appreciate you coming um, uh, on the show today. And we also appreciate the miracle you work every week to get Green Left Weekly out and to build that movement and to air the voices of the people who are building the movement. Thank you, Susan. We appreciate it. No worries. Thanks, Megan. Thank you. And that was Susan Price, editor of Green Left Weekly, or one of the editors of Green Left Weekly. There's a number of them. So just uh, in summary, you can actually support Green Left Weekly um, uh, by going to greenleft.org.au and clicking on the Support Us um, button, which is up the top. You can subscribe or, sorry, support for as little as $5 a month for the digital rate. um, a month for the digital and the print. So as Susan said, you know, you can read it and then you can pass it on to friends, family, coffee shop, etc. There's also, you know, if you have money to spare, there's a $20 per month solidarity rate. And so everything counts. Um, As activists, we know that building movements are so important. So helping to build Green Left Weekly is helping to build a multitude of movements. And that is so important. So, yes, thank you, Susan. Okay, what have we got? Well, I'll just play a quick announcement and then we'll move on to some news um, that I'd like to discuss probably for the next 10 minutes um, until we get to our second interview. Accented women. It seems so obvious to me that if you live in a a completely violent um, cultural milieu that it's going to translate into every aspect of women's lives. Accented women. What's a border? They don't see it like a big wall right along the... How can people live ordinary lives when they're living in such an extraordinary situation where there are two, where there are armies there and terrorists there and such conflict every single day of their lives? Accented Women. A show by and about women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. On Community Radio 3CR. Right, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. It is 7.35 a.m. Um, now, I guess um, one of the big kind of announcements that kind of have had happened over the past day has been the release of the Labor Manifesto, not the 
the Australian Labor Manifesto, the UK Labor um, uh, Manifesto um, for the two, um, the general election that's going to be happening on December. And I guess it's come, it's opening with the slogan, it's time for real change, which I think, you know, the manifesto in a sense lives up to that. Um, so, you know, it's a full document of over 105 pages. And I guess some of the policies um, that it's pushing, because I think Labor have um, in the UK have definitely become one of the more significant social democratic left parties um, in the UK um, and across Europe. They have um, by far the largest membership and it has been the result of having a much more left, an actual left wing leadership um, in the form of Jeremy Corbyn. Um, so I guess the manifesto is definitely quite expiring in terms of how radical of a program it is um, for um, in, in it's far much further to the left of any kind of social democratic kind of political program in a sense that it wants to um, cut, um, have a massive increase to the health budget. Um, there's a, um, there's uh, increase a minimum living wage to £10, um, to £10 pounds, which was increased from $8.20, not one. Um, freeze the state pension age at 66. And I guess the most exciting kind of two exciting kind of significant things is that they have a net zero target to put the UK on track for a net zero carbon energy system within the 2030s, which is by far probably the more, one of the more ambitious sort of um, plans. And then then it gets even more radical, I guess, with its next one, which is the nationalisation of key industries. So, um, Labor is seeking to nationalise the so-called Big Six energy firms, which is the National Grid, um, the water industry, the Royal Mail, the railways, and the broadband arm of the BT. Um, BT. So that is probably one of the more radical kind of reforms, um, mm. especially since most of, um, because of the dominance of kind of neoliberalism in um, the global north um, countries, especially like the United States um, and even Australia, this whole que- this whole um, question about public ownership is basically, you know, set, um, set aside as being part of loony land. Um, <laughs> So I think the fact that Labor is in the UK is putting forward an um, nationalisation, I think, is a huge step forward. Um, and then there's also proposals around um, around um, improving the benefit system, i.e. the Centrelink system, which is probably just as abhorrent, um, abolishing the private school's charitable status and also plans to scrap, um, basically make education free. And then there's also questions around, you know, having free bus travel under 25s. And I guess, I mean, I guess probably to have a bit of criticism of um, the political program, I guess the biggest weakness, and this is not necessarily in line with what Corbyn's actual position is, I guess my main criticism would be it still implements some form of um, investment in, say, the British military. It's not necessarily breaking away from... It's not breaking away from the NATO kind of relationship. Uh, I mean, and, I mean, it does have some good stuff on internationalism, like um, more foreign aid, etc. Um, some, at least some acknowledgement around the disparities um, between um, the Global North and the Global South. I think those are all kind of sense step forwards. Um, in light of the whole Brexit sort of um, right-wing sort of anti-immigration debate, it does have 
some reasonably good policies on freedom of movement, um, but it doesn't necessarily go all the way to what was in voted on um, at the national at the Labor conference that happened earlier this year, which is actually going on for a full kind of open borders policy and actually sort of dismantles aspects of um, the whole border sort of fourth thing. So there's still a few things that they're kind of keeping. Um, I mean, in some sense, it's, you know, the UK Labor is not promising, you know, socialist revolution necessarily mm. so it's not going to shrink but i do think that you know for any radical um these these are the kind of proposals i think that can push the political struggle a bit forward um especially mm. since probably some of these um a lot of these um proposals are really not even going to be possible to implement without a mass movement i mean there's all this sort of talk and i think you know this is a clearly a pitch to the capitalist class. There's clearly this kind of pitch um, to the capitalist class that, you know, it's all fully costed, although some of the, a lot of the money is actually going to come from taxing the rich. Um, there's a number of sort of financial mechanisms by which um, the wealth of the rich will basically be taken to sort of pay for these programs, which is going to, not going to make a lot of the capitalist class happy. Uh, and so when you consider those kind of contradictions, um, they're essentially trying to reform cap. This is like a reforming ca- um, package. Um, the contradiction is some of these demands are so almost far too radical that they will definitely need a kind of mass movement. Mm-hmm. And I do think that, you know, one of the more interesting kind of facts, I mean, Megan, you'll probably find this a bit funny, but the um, famous um, graphic novelist, um, oh, Alan Moore, just took my news. <laughs> um, is, has said he would vote for, he's going to vote for Labour. And this is an anarchist who's never voted in yeah. his life. Um, and he does think that it is important. Um, this is an important election on the basis that mm. I think it has seriously polarised the class relations within um, the UK, the fact that it's really a choice between Labour and the right, um, I think, you know, it, it, it goes again. But I guess my, my perspective, I guess, is still there's still obviously a need to build an independent mass movement, independent from the Labour Party. Yes. But I think the Labour Party can be, I think it's going to be part of pushing that struggle forward if, if they can win. I mean, there's still a lot of, um, it's not a done deal um, that Corbyn no. will win, especially with how... The, the Brexit debate has impacted, especially with their still weaknesses within the Labour Party. The fact is the Labour Party is still run by neoliberals who do want, who in some sense want to actually undermine Corbyn at any cost. Um, in fact, there's certain sections of the capitalist class that no matter how bad the Tories are taking the country down, and um, that they would still prefer to have the Tories over Corbyn. Um, because they're pro-capitalist neoliberals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. because um, previously, as I've sort of said on um, previous programs, there used to be a situation where um, basically the capitalist class would depend on having Labour elected to just manage and maintain capitalism. With Corbyn as a leader, that's actually not clear anymore um, no. for the capitalist class. There's a clear challenge from Corbyn to the capitalist yeah. class. It would be, yeah, it's a similar, it would be, a, it's a same situation in, um, a, similar, a similar situation would arise if the Australian Labor actually had a left-wing leadership, but <laughs> um, they don't, so they are seen as, you know, friendly to, cap- to managing and maintaining yeah. um, the capitalist system. 
Um, there is a, a weird thing. So you took, you stole my Alan Moore thunder. Um, so, you know, Alan Moore is, is a um, graphic novelist and, and I'm quite a fan. Um, but uh, there is a weird thing. Um, if you know someone who is an Australian who is living in uh, England, uh, they can actually register to vote for the upcoming election. They have to do it quite quickly, I believe. But uh, if you do know someone, please let them know that they can register to vote and they can vote in this upcoming election, uh, which is really, really important. We do need to get as many people as possible pushing this agenda. Um, yeah, uh, and yeah, that that was pretty much it from me. I think it's absolutely exciting. I, I know that this is not, I mean, it's Labor, but... These uh, kinds of um, these kinds of initiatives really push the window to the left, and we get people talking about same as AOC in America. You know, uh, Alexandra Ocasio Cortez and, and Bernie Sanders. They get people talking about things that were previously not talked about at all and not entertained, and that's really really important for a people's movement. Hmm. Yeah. Right now, I'm just going to play a quick announcement, and then we'll move on to our second interview. You are listening to Green Left Radio on the Friday morning breakfast show, broadcast live on 3CR Radio, 855 AM digital and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Green Left Radio is brought to you by the Green Left Weekly newspaper, providing a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment before profit. Subscribe to Green Left Weekly by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au. Or call 1-800-634-206. For new subscribers, it's only $10 for the first seven issues. Alright, on the line um, we have Valentina, um, who's a Chilean woman who has um, been uh, organiser of um, a number of the solidarity protests um, in solidarity with um, the uprising that's currently occurring in Chile right now. Um, so yeah, we have um, Valentina on the line um, to talk a bit about um, what's happening in Chile and maybe give a bit of a different perspective because we have previously covered um, interviews with some other Chilean activists, so we're hoping to get more, I guess, diversity on some of the voices. So, good morning, Valentina. Good morning. I'm sorry, I forgot to press the button. Good morning, Valentina. Hi, good morning. How are you? Yeah, uh, good, Um, yeah, because I forgot to press the button, so I didn't hear you before. All right, um, so... um, Valentina, I guess I um, want to start off from, I guess, your perspective. I guess what's currently guess, happening right now in terms of um, the uprising and the revolt and protests that are happening in Chile right now? Okay, so well, I guess you already have some context about the military and the police attacking uh, the people um, led by the so-called president. So right now human rights are being violated. And the political class two days ago, they presented this peace agreement that the population is rejecting, actually. Uh, they were, the people were asking for a new constitution, and this is what the political class tried to do, but they did it according to their own uh, law. Like, they were the responsible of all these problems, and now they think they can still do it again. So the thing is that the people are saying uh, there will be no peace without justice. And not because we want it this way, it's just the way it has to be. We have been um, 
bearing with this whole system that led us to poverty, to terrible lives, to the exploitation of our resources, to the criminalization of some of our people. And there are so many victims right now. And the media and the political class, they're just pretending that nothing is happening. And what can you tell us about, I guess, just to give you a bit more detail on this sort of political demand around the constituents? Um, and I, I, I know that you're, you're trying to fight to kind of for a rewrite of the constitution. Yes. So um, everyone can agree on a new constitution because the one that we have nowadays is the one, is the one of Pinochet and from 1980, sorry. And that was a dictatorship. So we have a dictatorial constitution. And we we need that, first of all, in order to get all the other demands related to pension, health care, education, uh, the protection of our natural resources, uh, decriminalization of certain groups of people who have been attacked throughout this whole time, and a series of many other things, like... This involves everything, transport as well, like everything, everything you can think of because Chile became the most private country and we cannot afford it. Uh, so Chile is a great place if you have a big company to do business, okay? But if you're like a normal citizen, it's really hard to live there. It's one of the most unequal countries in the world. Mm. So, uh, and now with this new proposal of peace, uh, Chileans around the world, because it's many of us who are getting organized as well from 146 cities in 32 different countries. Uh, a couple of days ago, we went to the Chilean Council to present a manifest from this uh, Chilean network uh, saying that we support the Chilean movements and protests and that uh, because of that, uh, the, peop- the population are rejecting this <coughs> disagreement, and not because it's really bad, but because it's not considering the social movement, which are the ones who are leading the protest. They don't consider as well uh, the young people who started all of this, who, according to our law, they, they can be sent to prison, but they cannot vote for their own life. So we also want to include them as well. We also want to include um, issues like gender, uh, equity, uh, also equity among the different peoples, and transparency, because our political class is very corrupt. Um, They have proven throughout all these decades with a lot of evidence that we cannot trust in them. Um, They're very corrupt. You know, at the end, it's just family and friends, like like a mafia kind of thing. Uh, who are deciding everything on their own benefit. Um, We also ask for a direct participation of the people in this constitutional process. And the other thing is that they they propose that we should do this in April to decide if we want to do it in a certain way or the other, using representatives or with the political class that is uh, ruling right now. And after that, until October next year, we will um, accept the new constitution, uh, the proposal for a new constitution or not. And we wonder what's going to happen from here to April if the police and the military are already attacking the people. Mm. They haven't stopped. Uh, until today, 
we have 93 sex violence victims, um, 40 women, 30 men, one pregnant, and 16 children as well. We have injured in hospital over uh, 2,300 people for, for shotgun or tear gas or beat up. Uh, so no demands have been uh, granted. The police are still attacking the people. Um, they manipulated the constitution demands. And we, so the only signal that we receive from them is that they still don't get it. They still don't listen to the people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how can they say that the people are just disobeying when, well, first of all, we don't have owners, so we shouldn't be disobeying. We are supposed to live in a democracy, but now we saw, we realized that it was never a democracy. Because in a true democracy, people are able to speak up. That's right. People should be able to give their opinions without getting shot. And the government and should serve us rather than the other way around. Sorry? The government should serve us rather than the other way around, you know. Exactly. Yeah. It's very exactly. worrying times. Um, Valentina, can you just... Uh, so, birth... Uh, sorry... Chile is is often seen by many as the birthplace of neoliberalism and we know that uh, neoliberal policies have been very detrimental to women and uh, women's rights. Can you give us a little bit about, uh, you know, a bit of information about the role that women are playing uh, in the events that are um, that are unfolding in Chile and uh, what sort of demands um, are occurring as a consequence of this in regards to, you know, more rights for women uh, and, and uh, you know, less um, oppression? Yes, of course. Um, well, right now many women are being victims of rapes that are not in the official numbers. And being, they are missing as well. Uh, so the context has been that for the past decade, uh, feminist movements have uh, increased so much. It became such a powerful movement that before this whole protest started, the biggest marches have been feminist, like the, most of the country supporting us. And this has been amazing, and it's a true example for the rest of the uh, the war, I think, are mostly in Latin America. Argentina and Chile uh, have huge movements led by women, organized completely by women. And we have been able to change some laws in terms of sexual harassment and murder, uh, femicide as well. Those are the biggest issues in, in Latin America, at least. Um, so because women have been systematically murdered, mostly by their partners, Mm-hmm. ex-husbands or relatives, uh, they're also being systematically raped. And uh, the other thing that is very important is not just femicide and rape, uh, it's also uh, abortion. Because, well, abortion used to be legal uh, in Chile before Pinochet. And after the dictatorship, they made it illegal in all its form. It was completely banned. And, for example, Piñera the current president, I remember uh, this piece of news. He was congratulating an 11-year-old girl for being brave, for being pregnant. Oh, my gosh. And that's, that's not possible. That, that is unacceptable. So that is a political class. That's the conservative class that is ruling today in Chile. They're making – this is extreme violence. You cannot force little girls to become mothers. You're forcing them not just for a terrible life and – all the trauma and the shock, you're forcing them into poverty, and you repeat the circle and you maintain them there. Most 
poor people in the world are women. Mm. Uh, poverty is feminine, mostly, and because it also considers uh, family. There are so many single women, I mean, sorry, single mothers, not just in Chile, everywhere in the world. We can see some similar patterns. Uh, this is why women said enough, no more, and we have been getting so much support from the whole community. It has to be a movement led and done by women, uh, but it is for the whole community because we're all together and it's going to affect us all. So it is wonderful to see that in all the organizations, in all the protests, uh, most of the leaders are women, actually. And yes, yes, because, uh, like for the past decades, and starting in 2006 with the Pinguino Revolution, which was the students' revolution, uh, social movements started getting organized everywhere in Chile for anything you can think of in terms of uh, the protection of water, pensions, uh, education, healthcare. A every single aspect of society you can think of has a movement in Chile that has been working and doing research and protesting and doing the right thing, following the protocols, you know, that's why we're so pissed right now. And mm. this includes feminism. And as I told you, we have been able to change some laws. There's still a long way to go, but uh, in the past couple of years, yes, women have been getting much more support. There are still a lot of cases of femicide, of course, which is very concerning. Mm. Uh, now, with the current context, I dare say that uh, this will improve because I, we all know that what is going on today in Chile and in other countries as well is terrible. Yeah. This is horror. Because of the way they're attacking, torturing, uh, it's terrible, it's terrible. But the, the response, the other side that you can see, like the beauty of this whole movement is to see that people are getting organized and we are all saying we found each other. We are meeting each other again. We love each other again. And people are sharing and they're staying close and together. There's this whole spirit of union and solidarity. Uh, we were asleep. So this is why we say Chile woke up, you know. We were just living our own lives, everyone taking, worrying about themselves. And this is how you make a people asleep. Uh, yes. If you think you just have to worry about yourself, you're lost. Yes. We think we're doomed. Because together, united, we are able to overcome anything. This is what we're doing today. And for the first time, I would say, like, from 1973, probably, we're feeling, for the first time, like, truly free. Mm. Yeah. And it's terrible that it has to be in this context. Because we also, like, and other, some of the, the, the parts of the repression that we're doing, they are blinding people as well. We have a world yes. record now. But Pineda has it. Uh, till two days ago, it was... 222 people who have been blinded. Yeah, I've seen some horrific pictures. Yeah. 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 So, Valentina, yeah. we're just running a bit out of time now. Um, so I'm just going to yes. get a wrap it out now. Do you have any kind of like final comments you'd like to kind of say um, to end the pro um, the interview on? Yeah, of course. Uh, we would like to share this message with the rest of the world. We would like to set an example to the rest of the world. We know that Chile was the main experiment of the CIA and Kissinger to set neoliberalism to, in the rest of the world. They were very successful, and we can see the consequences today. It's a system meant to collapse, 
and that is what's going on. And that's why we want liberalism to die in Chile now. We have to set an example to the rest of the world. We want to tell to the rest of the world that human rights are being violated right now. They are not even respected uh, war laws. They're even attacking the Red Cross. So mm. Piñera is a dictator. He has to resign. He has to be taken to trial. Mm. And we want our political class uh, to give the power to the people because we are the ones who elect them. Because we know that this is a country that respects democracy, and many Chileans have been welcomed here, especially during dictatorship times. And so we would love to see the support of our, the local authorities here to do some pressure, international pressure, um, to Chile, to the Chilean authorities. This has to change. It has to stop. We want the violence to stop. We just want to do things the proper way, and we want peace. But we cannot have it without justice. Hmm. Thank you very much. Thank you, Valentina. We, uh, we appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. Yeah, sure. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. And that was Valentina, a, a local Chilean activist uh, who, along with many Chileans here in Melbourne, are agitating um, to help support the Chilean uprising and put pressure, international pressure, uh, onto the Chilean government. All right, we'll just play a quick announcement and then we'll move on to the activist calendar. 3CR are selling kefir, Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black, or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. Welcome back. You're listening to Green Left Radio, 8.55 on your AM dial, and it's time for the activist calendar. Looks like the coming weeks are very packed. So this coming Saturday, November the 23rd to Saturday, November the 30th, uh, there is the Resistance Bookshop End of Year Radical Book Sale. Our annual sale, 25% off all stock, the lot. If you'd like to donate books, you can call 9639-8622. Uh, and it's on Saturday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., Monday to Friday, 12 noon to 6 p.m. And that's at the Resistance Centre, Level 5, 407 Swanston Street in the city, opposite RMIT. On Saturday, November the 23rd, there is a conference, Young Workers Working for Climate Justice, and it's on at 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at Trades Hall, 54 Victoria Street in Carlton South. Uh, there's also a conference, Is This the End of Neoliberalism? Learning from Latin America. And that's on at 11am to 5pm at Trades Hall, again 54 Victoria Street in Carlton South, uh, which is directly um, related to the interview that we just had. Uh, there's also a rally on Saturday, a Solidarity with the Iraqi People at 5pm at Parliament in Spring Street. Uh, on Sunday, November the 24th, Music Concert for Chile, Justice, Dignity and Human Rights. That's at 3pm at Federation Square in the city. Also on Sunday, there's a film screening, Refugees, 10 Years Detention, Solidarity Fundraiser for Tamil Refugees at 4pm and that's at the Thornbury Picture House, which is 802 High Street in Thornbury. 
there's also on Sunday several. Uh, another thing is on Sunday is uh, the rally to stop the drop, oppose the dropping of poison 1080 baits by helicopter across regional Victoria, and that's at 5 p.m. at Treasury Gardens uh, Lawn 4 in the city. Uh, Melbourne. Uh, sorry, Monday, November the 25th, all happening in Melbourne, to Sunday, December the 1st. The exhibition, in response, Political political Art from the Streets, a collaborative exhibition by Van and Slim. No Vacancy Gallery, located at QV Building in, the Swanston, in Swanston Street in the city. Again, on Monday the 25th, a green left discussion, Marxism and the state. When ordinary people begin struggling for a better society, they're immediately confronted by the power of the state. This immense apparatus, seemingly independent and impartial, time and time again, shows its true nature when confronted with the people struggling for fundamental changes. And that's at 6pm at the Resistance Centre, Level 5, 407 Swanston Street in the city, opposite RMIT. There's a public meeting, conversation on refugees. Panellists will explore the implications of recent policy shifts and what constitutes an acceptable response on refugee, to refugee protection. And that's at 6pm at the Kwong Lee Dow Building, Lecture Theatre 2.30 at Parkville Campus, 234 Queensbury Street. Uh, on Wednesday, November the 27th to Sunday, the December the 8th, uh, there's theatre, I Shot Mussolini at La Mama, which is 349 Drummond Street in Carlton. Uh, Wednesday, November the 27th again, Rally for the Future of Melbourne's Transport. That's at 10am at Parliament Steps on Spring Street in the city. There's also a public meeting, Leading the Charge, Climate Change, Disability and Storytelling. That's at 6.15 at the Wheeler Centre, which is 176 Little Lonsdale Street in the city. Uh, there's a launch, Victorian Climate Impacts Map and Summer Strategy, and that's at 6.45pm at the Kathleen Syme Library and Community Centre, 251 Faraday Street in Carlton. Uh, also on Wednesday, it looks like Wednesday's packed, film screening, John and Yoko, Above Us Only Sky. The untold story of John Lennon's album, Imagine, recounts a story of hope for a world still desperately in need of peace, justice, empathy and love. And that's at 7.30pm at Hoyt's Melbourne Central. On Thursday 28th of November to Sunday December the 1st, there's a Trans and Gender Diverse Film Festival and that's screening at the Footscray Community Arts Centre, 45 Moreland Street in Footscray. Uh, also on Thursday, Rally for Nature, 12 noon at the Parliament Steps in Spring Street, uh, and also 165th Eureka Rebellion Anniversary Dinner, Dinner, Drinks and Speeches, and that's 6pm uh, at the um, MUA, uh, Maritime Union of Australia, 46 Island Street in West Melbourne. Uh, book launch, Radical Perth, Militant Fremantle. Jeff Sparrow would launch, bo- uh, launch book by historians Charlie Fox and Bobby Oliver, and that's at 7pm at Trades Hall, 54 Victorian Street, Carlton South. Friday, November the 29th. Rally Fridays for Future, Global Climate Strike, 12 noon. That's at the State Library, 328 Swanston Street in the city. That's part of uh, Greta Thunberg's um, Fridays for Future. Uh, also on Friday, solidarity, solidarity sit-down. This is climate change. Our government's inaction on the climate crisis is contributing to catastrophic fire conditions. People are hurting, communities are being devastated, and summer hasn't even begun. And that's at 2.30 at Parliament uh, in Spring Street.
Saturday, November the 30th, rally, community action and cancellations on the upfield line, 11am, Library, corner of Victoria and Louisa Streets in Coburg. Uh, also on Saturday, music, rockin' for West Papua, 4pm, $10, and at, that's at the Central Club Hotel, 293 Swanston Street in Richmond. Sunday, December the 1st, West Papua Flag Waising, and that's at 2pm, Flagstaff Gardens, 311 William Street. Um, then we also have, we might have to cut this short. We've got a lot of stuff happening. Uh, Monday, December the 2nd, uh, Green Left Discussions, How to Make a Revolution. The gap between the rich and the poor grows more and more. The system is increasingly becoming disastrous uh, for ordinary people, but listening, people are rising up all over the world from social climate strikes to Chile in Lebanon. To Lebanon. Come along to the discussion about how we can fight for fundamental social change, and that's at 6pm, Resistance Centre, Level 5, 407 Swanston Street in the city. And we'll end it there because we have our Live from Hong Kong interview. Right. Um, So, um, we on the line, um, we have Lam. Hi, it's from Hong Kong, um, straight from Hong Kong, actually. Welcome, Lam. Thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, good morning. Yeah. Oh, yes, you can hear us perfectly. Great. Um, so, yeah. yes, I guess um, the first um, question we guess we have is, can you just tell us um, about the situation that's currently happening in Hong Kong right now? And then we might go a bit more into the kind of politics of what's happening. Yeah, definitely. Uh, thank you for your interest on reporting the things in Hong Kong because we, we are at the point of uh, very important moments that we need attention from the international point of, uh, from the international. So to give you all the, a little background of what is happening in Hong Kong is that, uh, the protest movement was initiated by the proposal of the extradition bill by the government, which is believed to undermine the fundamental judiciary system in Hong Kong. So the series of protests started actually in June this year, and it takes place almost every day in different districts in Hong Kong. So it, uh, it evolved into different scales and forms, for example, from our various peaceful marches, rally, uh, sitting, non-cooperative movement, strikes, human chain, unauthorized blocks, etc. So, prima facie, we see that escalating violence from protesters, but all protesters understand that the demands have never been achieved, and the police brutality is getting a lot more serious that we have never seen before. So, uh, there are thousands of footages showing that the police are totally out of control and seriously hurting the protesters and the students. Mm. Uh, starting from June, the government has been rejecting our demands and deploying police and even triad members to attack and violently suppress the protesters at all means. When protesters uh, got hurt or called the police for help, police deployed medical assist, uh, uh, delayed uh, medical assistance or even reversely arrested protesters but released the attackers more horribly. Uh, frequent suspicious incidents of corpse discovery, but the police only declare no suspicion and close the file. For example, if uh, a 15 years old girl corpse was found naked in the sea, she was an active protester and a good swimmer, while the police just declared that she committed suicide 
in the sea nakedly. We have no way to complain or we have no way to ask what is really happening in Hong Kong. Uh, they also started to raid in and uh, attack different universities in Hong Kong. Last week, the Hong Kong police practically invaded the campus of Chinese University. They have also they have fired over 2,000 tear gas inside the Chinese University in one day. Uh, in June this year, British uh, Britain has actually banned the sales of tear gas in Hong Kong after the police violence at protesters. So they are now using the tear gas which are made from China. The government has rejected to disclose the ingredients inside the tear gas, but just claiming it is harmless. But scientists and, and a lot of professors tested that was found a it really released a lot, a large amount of dioxin, which are very toxic and harmful mm. to human bodies. Uh, you may ask what actually the students do. Uh, they were actually throwing Molotov cocktails at the police, but it was the police started it. They stormed their com uh, their campus, and they are blaming the students for resisting and fighting back. Uh, similar incidents happened in the Hong Kong Polytechnic University this week. Heavy police presence, firing tear gas, uh, rubber bullets, and even long-range acoustic device. So, uh, so that is what is happening in Hong Kong. And they also suppress and manipulate media. The largest free television media platform is named TVB in Hong Kong. It is highly censored and is known to manipulate and even report fake news or only report footages that are in favor of the protesters. Every time police arrange press conferences, they keep telling lies to cover the truth, deny responsibilities, and condemn the, condemns the protester. They just did so, so, so that they can make up some fake news to manipulate the whole movement, especially to report the, it to China. They, uh, there are actually many condemnations to the Hong Kong police force from different parties. For example, the Hong Kong Bar Association, Amnesty International, United Nations Human Rights, etc. But they just keep doing that. So that's why we just insist of the uh, our movement and we hope to see our uh, uh, five demands to be achieved, all of them. Yeah. yeah. Can you tell us a bit more in detail about, I guess, some of these kind of five demands? Because I guess from my understanding... Um, the extradition bill, which has, um, which I guess was one of the triggers of these, um, these protests, um, has been withdrawn at this stage. But I guess you can tell us a bit more in detail. Yeah. Oh, uh, you mean the, re uh, the demands of the movement? At yes, the stage yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I, I know the extradition bill is one of those. <laughs> Uh, so actually in June, uh, the only demand is just to withdraw the extradition bill. However, due to the movement has induced so much injustice and unfairness. You know, uh, 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 there are a lot of corpses, there are thousands of footages showing that the policeman has uh, done a lot of things that uh, impair the social law and order. For example, they raided in pri private premises without a legal search order and they also get uh, get involved in criminal ordeals just to just uh, just in the hope of prosecuting more pros, uh, protesters as they want. So uh, uh, I think the most important demand is the establishment of an independent commission of inquiry into police 
conduct and use of force during the protests. So, uh, they, they, they really did a lot, a lot of horrible things in Hong Kong. So that is the main and the most imminent issue that we, uh, 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 that we really need to ask for. Secondly, is the retraction of the riot characterization. The, uh, the government originally characterized the protest in the 12th of June as riots. Later, the description was amended to say there were some protesters who rioted. However, results actually, there is nothing related to riots during the protest. So, yeah, and thirdly is to uh, release ex- and exonerate arrested protesters. Actually, the protesters mainly are, are very, very young students, and the protesters consider the arrest to be politically motivated. Some of the evidences are faked and manipulated by police. Uh, so we also question the legitimacy of police arresting uh, the the protesters at hospitals through access to their confidential medical data in breach of patient privacy. Uh, fourthly is the implementation of universal suffrage for legislative council and chief executive election. Currently, the chief executive candidates are actually appointed by China. For example, in the last election, uh, China nominated three candidates for us to choose, but we actually know that all three choices are just only working for for China, but not for the goods of Hong Kong. That's why we are, that's why yeah, uh, this one is the most difficult one to achieve, but yeah, I think it's uh, I think this, this one is also important. Finally, is the withdrawal of the extradition bill, which was actually achieved and it was formally withdrawn on the 23rd of October. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and I guess um, since, um, from my understanding, you're in Hong Kong right now, um, I guess yeah. what can you tell us about, I guess, what's happening on the ground there? I guess what are kind of like the next steps in terms of protests and actions that I guess coming up, especially in light um, we've obviously been following what's been happening with um, the very heavy-handed sort of police repression that happened um, on the universities Mm, so you mean uh, what the protesters are uh, next steps and the yeah yeah kind of like, like you know is there going to be more protests etc that kind of thing. Mm. I see. Uh, for the actually uh, this movement was almost uh, is also named a water re- revolution. So it actually has no single parties or no single person to control or to to make the decision of the uh, of the whole movement uh, it is actually uh, uh, driven by uh, every single individual who joined the protest so uh, I, uh, I think the demand is very uh, very clear that uh, there are five demands not one less so uh, what we want to achieve at the uh, uh, totally five demands of that. So from my personal point of view, I think that if Hong Kong people persist, uh, they will win the battle because Hong Kong Hong Kongers will keep giving pressure to the government from asking different countries, setter, sectors, and individuals help. And they, uh, for example, uh, the United States actually has just passed, is passing the Hong Kong Human Rights and Democratic Act. It has already, it had, it has already passed in the House of Representatives and was unanimously confirmed in the Senate this week. So next step is just to present the bill to 
President Donald Trump for approval. So uh, as I think fairly speaking, I do not think our demands are exaggerated. Uh, we are just asking for basic rights that we should have. So five demands, not one less. So if the demands are satisfied, I believe Hong Kong will have a good public order and we will soon uh, and we will be soon to be a safe, peaceful and international city. I, yeah. Hmm. yeah. Do you have a question, Megan? Uh, yeah, I'm just wondering, I, I have been watching with concern what's happening uh, this week and uh, unfolding with yeah. Polytechnic University. Um, oh, can yeah, you tell horrible. me? Yeah, it is mm. absolutely horrible. Can you tell me, has there been, are there still people who are um, detained, like who are holed up in Polytechnic? And what is the situation there at the moment? Uh, uh, maybe uh, so someone may not be uh, may not know what is happening in the poly poly university. Uh, in the poly university, there are around five hundred to one thousand uh, students or the protesters inside the university, and they just keep uh, firing tear gas. And all be, be, uh, the reason why they uh, the police wants to. Uh, raid into the university is because uh, it blocks the uh, one of the tunnel in Hong Kong, and uh, uh, so that they just want to raid in the uh, university and make the uh, 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 make the arrest of the uh, of the protesters who blocks the road. But actually, inside the university, there may be a lot of diff- uh, uh, normal students or a lot of different parties inside. So. Uh, they just blocked all the exits and they keep firing tear gas in, uh, to them and fire a, 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 a plastic bullet and also they use uh, the, uh, those long range acoustic device as well. So uh, every Hong Kongers are very uh, worried about the situation and we, we think that they I'm not sure why they are doing that because they they just seems keep attacking different universities. But in the universities, there are a lot of elites and also our our few, uh, uh, a lot of young students inside the university. So that uh, that is what is happening in Hong uh, in Hong Kong. They just keep raiding the uh, uh, universities and also they. Uh, uh, there is a saying goes at in Hong Kong, when you when you are young, you it is just a crime that you being young. So, yeah, so young people may just being get beat up by the policeman whenever they like, and because every every uh, they just cover up their warrants number and they do they mostly with face masks on. So, uh, we do not have we we. We don't. We have no way to make the police accountable. That is the most important issue in Hong Kong. Yeah. 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 Um, I guess going into, um, I guess, um, maybe I'll kind of hear. I guess in terms of concluding this interview, I guess want to hear kind of your kind of personal thoughts or like any kind of final comments and where you kind of think this movement is going to go. And I guess in terms of any kind of messages that you'll probably want to bring to the kind of audience that we have in in Australia. Yes, we're listening. Oh, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for everyone who is interested in uh, in Hong Kong. Actually, I am. I, I I studied in Australia before, so I just I also keep spreading what is happening to Hong Kong 
uh, uh, in Hong Kong to all my friends and uh, 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 colleagues in the Australia. So uh, I think uh, uh, I I do not know what to do at this moment, but I just want to spread out what is happening in Hong Kong because we are one of we are still one of the democratic uh, cities in the world, and we are we really need the international help. From uh, by giving pressure to our government and also by uh, 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 our uh, to to the senior officers in the in the government. So uh, why I'm uh, uh, I hope we will success. Otherwise, we will be the next Xinjiang in in similar to to another uh, in China. So uh, I just yeah I just being very desperately and just uh, wanna everyone in Hong Kong is really sad and we are really afraid of the police and also yes I I don't know what to say yeah Uh, it's a stressful situation thank you very much for coming on the show and um, and promoting um, you know what is happening in Hong Kong Uh, please stay safe and uh, we are thinking Mm. of you and we stand in solidarity with the the Hong Kong people thank you so much thank you so much thank you yeah thank you Uh, so that was Lam. Uh, he is a Hong Kong activist currently involved in uh, the uprising in, in Hong Kong. Um, we, it, the events are very concerning. The, the police in Hong Kong are, are doing some uh, things that uh, actually are against the Geneva Convention. They are hiding in ambulances, and when injured protesters are um, coming to these ambulances, they are being arrested. They are firing tear gas, gas directly at protesters. Uh, they are doing so many things uh, that have been condemned by the international community. And the, the Hong Kong youth are being targeted, um, as Lam mentioned. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, so I might just play a quick announcement, um, and then we will... We'll figure out what to conclude our program with. Um, there's probably a lot of things we can conclude our program on with, but yeah. Okay, so this is Shebop. And so is this. And this. Shebop, a program that explores feminist issues. Tune in Mondays, 10.30am, for a show where only women get to speak, but everyone can listen. Right, we're back on Green Left Weekly Radio, and um, we're getting close to the end of the program, so Megan's going to kind of finish this up. Yeah, so um, today's show has been all about listening to voices of people who are supporting uprisings around the world and talking about the importance of independent media, both in the landscape of Australian politics and also international politics. Uh, Green Left Weekly, which is an important independent left-wing newspaper here in Australia, is having a supporter drive 
Uh, if you'd like to support uh, Green Left Weekly, uh, who not only gets this kind of information out, but also helps build movements and support movements, you can go to greenleft.org.au and click on the Support Us button. You can support Green Left for as little as $5 a month. You can also have a, a both a digital and print copy for $10 a month. And if you have the money, hey, you can do a solidarity um, uh, supporter um, program for $20 a month. But it's really, really important, as we saw with Lam, who is directly involved in uh, the uprising in, in Hong Kong, uh, the voices of the people are so important to convey and to support a movement. We have to have independent media like Green Left Weekly. And activists and listeners like yourself are the reason why Green Left Weekly exists. So please do consider supporting us. It's extremely important to have independent, non-corporate media telling it like it is all around the world. Very, very important. Yeah, thank you very much for that, Megan. And so we will see you all next week for next another week, week um, for another round of Radical Radio. Tune in, tune in to Beyond Zero, who is coming up right now. This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio. Brought to you by the Green Left Weekly newspaper, which provides a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment first. If you would like to subscribe to the newspaper and get it delivered to your door, you can do so by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1800 634 206. For new subscribers, it is only $10 for the first six issues. Repeats of the show... And interviews are podcasts on our homepage on the 3CR website. Thank you for listening. You are tuned into 3CR Community Radio, 855 Digital on the AM dial and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Start sometime. What better place than here? What better time than now? Oh, hell.